0: Good evening, I hope everyone is doing well. We are continuing our discussion on faith and politics. And over the past few weeks, we've been exploring uh, issues and policies that relate to the protection of human life. Uh, We've been focusing primarily uh, on uh, issues of abortion and uh, that's a very intimidating topic. It was not easy to cover, but it was an important one uh, That tends to find its way into our political discussions uh, quite a bit now um, if you thought that topic was difficult to wade through and uh, and, and difficult to, to, to Wrestle with uh, just wait until you uh, see what we're going to be discussing uh, tonight tonight, we're going to be discussing euthanasia Uh, this is the intentional killing or taking of life of a person either uh, by an intentional act or by omission Uh, often this is done because the person is elderly uh, maybe they're suffering from dementia they have some terminal illness or chronic pain now this is not a new invention this is not something that all of a sudden we just came up with it's actually been around uh, for quite some time Uh, the word itself euthanasia comes from two Greek words that basically mean good death or good end. Uh, and um, what that means kind of changes from time to time, culture to culture, uh, across human history. But I just wanted to share that with you because we need to understand this is something that has always been around. It's always been uh, something that people have grappled with. And so it's not anything new to our political and um Moral religious uh, Discussions now some may think that this is not a very prevalent topic. You really don't hear uh, political candidates whenever they're debating talking about euthanasia and stuff like that um, But it is actually not only a relevant topic But it has many different offshoots from this one central topic to many other different healthcare care type uh, issues um, the idea of euthanasia and when is it okay to assist or allow someone to die really touches on a lot of prevalent issues, uh, such as, uh, is it okay um, to have do not resuscitate orders? I know that a lot of people, as they go in for surgery, they're really worried uh, about uh, the procedure and what may happen afterwards, and they've maybe had even bad experiences uh, with loved ones who have been resuscitated, but it can also often be a very difficult and traumatizing uh, scenario to go through a lot of people don't want to have uh feeding tubes and, and things like that in so they say listen i don't want to have any kind of extreme measures uh to resuscitate me i'd rather not live that way because you know quality of life and whatnot is severely impacted and so is that okay um are life support machines ethical and if someone is on a life support machine is it okay to remove that from them uh, once they've been on life support, um, is it okay if someone is in extreme pain with a terminal illness that is incurable? Uh, is it okay? Is it the merciful and loving thing to just, you know, as some would say, put them out of their misery? Is that okay, or is that considered murder? So you see how a lot of these other side issues are all t- all tied to this idea of uh, when uh, is it okay to allow someone to die? Is it okay to assist someone? and dying? Is that murder? Is that not murder? What is the value of human life? All these things are tied together. And the subject is uh, very much tied to what we have been talking about with abortion. Abortion deals with taking a life before uh, it has really um, uh, come about, Uh, you know, uh, after conception, before birth. Is it okay to take uh, what we as Christians believe is a human life? And euthanasia is about taking that human life later on in the in the human experience, that that journey of life. So these questions are all kind of tied together. And it's important as we try to answer this topic for us to as much as possible wrestle with the idea of the value of human life. Again, some of this will uh, play into what we've already discussed with abortion. But again, to really understand this topic, we need to kind of come back around to this as well. Now, there are many different ways to answer uh, this question of what is the value of human life. Some, uh, from a more secular point of view, that do not factor in uh, God and uh, human beings created in the image of God, tend to argue that uh, human life uh, is valued based on its relative ability to function independently. Now again, uh, I'll say at the outset, none of us really live uh, independent, completely and utterly independent of other people. I know there's a, a lot of people who talk, who talk about self-sufficiency and, and homesteading and trying to be independent as much as possible. But when all is said and done, we all to one degree or another depend on other people uh, in our day-to-day life. And so when I when I talk about this idea of relative independence, we need to understand that all of us are dependent in some form or fashion. People who argue this view say that if there's a great deal of dependency uh, that one person has, then that diminishes their value, uh, the the value of their life. Uh, Now, I know that seems harsh, but again, let's just uh, try to uh, hear this argument out as much as possible so at least we can know where these people are coming from. Uh, This same argument is often used in abortion discussions when people say that a baby should not be considered human to the degree that that child is dependent on others, in this case, the mother, uh, to live. Now, one of the many problems with saying this is uh, that um, a child, uh, this is also used to argue that after a child is born, that child still is dependent on uh, their parents, and so therefore their child does not uh, have much value in life. So again, they would say, The degree to which you are dependent on other people uh, either diminishes or uh, elevates your value in life. And oftentimes, as I said, this is applied in abortion cases where uh, they would say, well, because the child is completely, utterly dependent on mother while in the womb, uh, the mother has the say in whether or not to terminate that life. And then that's also um, drawn out in other cases where it says, well, even after birth, You've seen this a lot in the news. Even after birth, that child is still dependent on the parents. And so that child can still be uh, killed afterwards. And I know that sounds uh, crazy, but this is argued by many people in the world today. Uh, Individuals like uh, Princeton ethics professor Peter Singer uh, has said before, and I'll quote, Human babies are not born self-aware or capable of grasping that they exist over time. They are not persons. He goes on to say, The life of a newborn is of less value than the life of a pig or a dog or a chimpanzee. A period of 28 days after birth might be allowed before an infant is accepted as a, as having the same right to live as others. Now, that's uh, end quote uh, for... Uh, Peter Singer. So, in his understanding, and other people have adopted this worldview, that if life is, uh, if the value of a life is determined based on that uh, life's uh, independence and uh, not needing anyone else, then a child within the womb has no intrinsic value because it is utterly dependent upon the mother. And he goes on to say, you know, as we said that quote, 28 days after birth, that child still has no inherent uh, value in life and can still be killed if the parents choose to do so. And and again, just from my perspective, I don't know why he stopped at 28 days. If you're really going to take that uh, worldview and draw it out logically, I know many children one, two, three, four years after birth, you know, who are still uh, very much dependent uh, on their parents. I know my own kids, uh, we just celebrated my boys' uh, 12, uh, uh, 12th birthday. And so uh, they're 12 years old, but in many ways, they are still very much dependent on us. You know, if we were to take them and just plop them out in the middle of some woods or out in the middle of a city, I'm not so sure how long they would uh, actually survive. So are, do they have any value? Could we, all of a sudden, if my wife and I decided, could we decide, to take their life under this worldview, and so uh, there, there's a lot of um, a lot of strange, unusual, and I would say uh, sinful thinking going on by individuals who totally take God out of the equation and, and just uh, place man's wisdom. Uh, above all else and so i know this sounds horrible but this concept bleeds over into euthanasia again we're not talking about abortion now we're talking about euthanasia and this same concept bleeds into this idea of uh later on in life whether or not we can take human life because it is dependent on other people this would include elderly the disabled and those with terminal illnesses now some would use this line of thinking To say that the amount of resources and the strain of resources that it takes to put others uh, to keep other people alive is not justified, uh, because it's taken away from uh, the family members, it's taken away from society as a whole to keep these people alive. They are dependent on others, therefore their value has been diminished. So, in other words, the cost does not match the value of that person's life. Now. There is another closely linked idea to this, the idea that uh, human life is valued in proportion uh, to that person's abilities, to their intellect, to their contribution to the world and to other people. And by this reasoning, again, babies, elderly, the sick, the infirm, uh, are all a drain rather than a contributor uh, to the world and therefore can, if anyone decides, be killed. Now, some try to make it sound a little bit better uh, than what I'm uh, communicating to you And they do this by claiming that if a loved one is dependent on you and you love that loved one Maybe you cherish this person. Maybe it's a grandmother and you have many fond memories of your grandma and you uh, you um, Really value their life because of what they've meant to you Then that is the value that they contribute and therefore uh, it would be wrong uh, for anyone else to take uh, that person's life away. Or, or maybe it is your child, and your child does have a disability or is it dependent on you. Well, as long as you value that life, then that life has value and uh, no one should take that life Away from that person. Now, here's the thing: I don't want you to be fooled. As as, um, as great as that may sound, it's a little bit better than what has been said. It still means that a person's life is dependent upon how much someone else values them. What if what if your feelings towards your grandma or towards your disabled child changes? Or what happens to those people whom no one values? You know, this line of thinking is exactly what led the Nazis to kill millions upon millions of Jews back during the war too, okay? And so we need to understand that human life is not valued based on what anyone else thinks. Human life is not valued. My child's worth is not based on my valuing of them. My worth is not uh, determined based on anyone else's estimation of what my worth is. Now, um, I, I just want us to understand that it doesn't matter how dependent you are on anyone. It doesn't matter what you contribute to the world or to anyone else. That is not where your value comes from. All of this that we've been talking about so far, uh, again, shows us that when you take God out of the equation, man's wisdom ends up becoming foolishness. Okay? That is what we see around us. That's what we see with with. Uh, Uh, viewpoints uh, like what I've just shared is that what is foolish looks wise to the world, and what is wise looks foolish to the world when you take God out of the equation. Now, what I want to, I'm not going to go into any more uh, details about other ways that people value human life. I think you get the point of what it kind of looks like when you take God out of the equation. So what I want to do now is I want us to take a look at what scripture says, how God values human life, and then kind of go from there. Now, the Bible tells us that every person is created in the image of God. That means that there are certain innate qualities that are true of every single person, uh, that, uh, and that, that reflects uh, uh, the image of God, and it makes that person valuable. Now, we need to understand, maybe the best way to understand this is to recognize that your life, my life, every, every life in all creation belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. Yes, I have free will. Yes, I have intrinsic value. But that value is based on God. And God is the giver of all life. And therefore, God is the owner and the chief um, person, the person who determines the chief value of all human life. And so we need to understand that as the crux of the biblical worldview. In fact, we see that Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 10, verse 23. As he's praying to God, Jeremiah says this, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. Now, this is a crucial verse and again if you're having conversations with individuals uh, about abortion or about uh, the right to life the value of life euthanasia assisted suicide things like that if you're having those kind of discussions i would encourage you just to highlight that verse jot that down somewhere because this is really the crux of the biblical worldview my life is not my own your life is not your own we all belong to god our lives are given to us by god and they all belong to him. Now, uh, kind of a silly way uh, that we can illustrate this is I have with me, I always keep this in my office, uh, it's a little coffee cup. Now, I don't know if you can see that very well, but this is a coffee cup that uh, means a lot to me. This was given by a very sweet woman uh, at my very uh, first full-time ministry position. Uh, She gave this to me on a pastor appreciation day. It probably cost her uh, maybe $10.00. And uh, most people uh, would probably value it at much less than that, especially now that it's been used. But as its owner, uh, it is invaluable to me. Not because of its usefulness. It's just like any other coffee cup. Not because it has any intrinsic properties. It's not made of gold or anything like that. It's just a regular coffee cup. But it has a special place in my heart. Now, I would not sell that coffee cup. Uh, To anyone and so in the same way God owns our lives and he determines our worth This is my coffee cup and I determine how valuable this coffee cup is All right, and so in the same way God he owns our life and therefore he determines what our value is So then the next logical question should be okay. So if God owns our life Then what does God say our life is worth? What is the value of a human life? Well, One of the most well-known commandments in all of scripture is Exodus 20, verse 13, and it says, you shall not murder. So in the top 10 commandments that God uh, has given us, he includes the prohibition against taking life. So God could have listed anything in the top 10 commandments, but one of the things that he lists that most people are aware of in those top 10 uh, commandments is not to murder. And so God places high on His list of things that He values is human life. And so uh, we know that this commandment is against murder because people are created in the image of God. We know that because in Genesis nine verse six it says, "Whoever sheds human blood, blood by hu- uh, by humans, shall their blood be shed." For in the image of God, God has made mankind. So, here it says that the reason why God says that when people murder, their life should be taken, it says is explicitly in this verse, it is because they are created in the image of God. So, human life, which is created in God's image, is intrinsically valuable and worth protecting. Now, we could mention so many other verses that place uh, uh, where we see that God places a high value on human life, but what I want to do for a moment is to consider the one instance in scripture uh, of assisted suicide. There's not a lot of it uh, that we see in scripture, but there is one prominent place in scripture where we see that a person is is terminally hurt. There's no way that they can be healed and they are begging for death and uh, someone assists them in that death. And we see uh, kind of what God thinks of those types of situations. And so... Uh, what we see is in second Samuel uh, chapter 1, we see that David hears about King Saul who tried to kill himself by falling on his own sword uh, during the Battle of Mount Gil- uh, Gilboa uh, with the Philistines. And Saul, he tries to kill himself because he sees he, that he is surrounded uh, by the Philistines in this battle. He doesn't want to be taken uh, a prisoner, he doesn't want to be taken alive. and so he takes his own sword and he falls on it to kill himself. Now, Uh, His suicide attempt was unsuccessful, and so he lays there severely wounded until a young uh, Amalekite uh, individual comes and finds them. And Saul uh, pleads with this young man to finish the job and to kill him. Now the young man does in fact help Saul die. Uh, He is killed, and then that young Amalekite goes to King David, and he tells him what has happened. He tells him that Saul was wounded, that he came, and he finished the job after Saul pled uh, for him to die. And the young man thinks that David would be happy with this news because for many years now, Saul has been trying to kill David. So before we see David's response, I just want to reiterate how similar this is to what we see nowadays with euthanasia and assisted suicide. So, here are some of the facts to Saul's case and how they line up with uh, assisted suicide today. Number one, he was terminally hurt. Saul was hurt. He had stabbed himself with his own sword. Uh, during that time, with the medical knowledge that they had, there was no way that Saul was going to be able to live. He was in excruciating pain. Uh, he had a, uh, a mortal wound. He had been sitting out on the battlefield for a long period period of time, probably uh, had an infection. And so he was not going to make it. Uh, Also, we see that he was in extreme pain Some would say that this would have been a mercy killing. Not only had he uh, had he a a mortal wound But like I said, he was probably infected at this point. He was sitting out in the open fields uh, Just waiting to die. And so some people would have seen this as being um, a mercy killing Uh, thirdly we see that he was be, he was asking to be killed. This wasn't uh, as though this young Amalekite warrior uh, was just taking it upon himself to kill Saul. Saul was begging to die. And so a lot of people will argue that uh, we need to honor people's free choice and respect their wishes. And if they want to die, then we need who are we to uh, keep that from them? And then fourthly and lastly, we see that Saul was technically at this time still king. So this was a government sanctioned Suicide. Whatever the king said, that was legal. And so here's the king saying, kill me. So technically, this Amalekite would not have been breaking the law in that time uh, to obey the king's wishes and to kill him. Now, with all of that being said, with all of those conditions, David still condemned this Amalekite for murder. When it was communicated to him what had happened, David still saw this as murder, and he commanded that this young man be executed. Now I know that there are a lot of people who would say, "Well, this is just uh, what David thought, and uh, just because David thought this was murder doesn't mean that it was murder, um, and that this isn't necessarily a scripture approving what David did uh, by killing this young man who assisted Saul in suicide." It's just simply stating. What happened and so to be fair all that's true. This isn't saying that what david thought was right This is just communicating what how david saw the situation and it's not saying that this is what scripture uh, Approves of in this situation. It's just simply stating what happened But with all of that being said, I do believe that uh, we need to keep in mind uh, that throughout david's life he was seen after a man after god's own heart and That title of a man after God's own heart was said of David after he had done everything, uh, including his sin with Bathsheba. And so even though he, yes, is a fallible individual, we see that he was someone who constantly sought what God's will was in each situation. And the way that it's communicated in this passage seems to imply. That what David did was in fact the right thing that what this man did by helping someone else commit suicide was in fact wrong So it's not a a definitive case, but it is worth uh, noting now Uh, Now that we see that God places an incredible value on every human life because it's created in the image of God, I want us to consider some of the more murkier uh, implications of this topic. Now, this is not always clear black and white issue when it comes to assisted suicide and euthanasia and things of that nature. So I'm going to flesh out some of the more nuanced details of this issue for us to consider. Now, the first thing that I want us to see is that there are three broad categories of euthanasia or assisted suicide uh, that many people tend to talk about when considering the subject. Now the first one is called voluntary euthanasia. Now this is where someone is wanting to die and they clearly and with full understanding of what they are doing, they communicate their desire to die. Now one of the more well-known advocates and practitioners of this type of suicide is an individual by the name of Dr. Jock uh, Jack Kevorkian. Now, a lot of people during the early 90s are familiar with him. He is a doctor who uh, helped uh, <clears throat> at least 130 people commit suicide who were either sick or hurting or some form uh, of that kind of condition. Now, um, since he has died, there have been other groups who have kind of uh, taken that mantle and continued that practice. There are different groups such as the group called Exit Uh, There is another group called uh, Compassion and Choices, and then there is also a group called Death uh, with Dignity uh, that all kind of help individuals who are considering taking their own life or uh, ending their life because of some illness or injury. Now, there are also an increasing number of countries that are also beginning to legalize this practice, and we'll talk about those uh, in just a little bit. But just to let you know, this is a... a a category of euthanasia where it says as long as the person uh, wants to die as long as the person is in full um, uh, awareness and knowledge of what they're choosing. And a lot of times uh, certain countries have now put into uh, law that they have to have certain counseling uh, before they made this decision, before uh, physicians helped them with this. Uh, But it is with full agreement and acknowledgement from the patient that this is what they want to do. Now, the other category that gets a little bit even more murky is this uh, category called non-voluntary euthanasia. Now this uh, has led some groups and some countries to begin adopting uh, this category which is basically the patient is unable to communicate whether they want to die or not. This would be in cases where the person is maybe in a coma and they can't communicate or perhaps they have dementia and they don't have the mental faculties to truly understand what they're saying or what they're doing. Now, instances of this would be like in the Netherlands. This is one country that has adopted this type of policy. Uh, they have, just a few years back, estimated that 60—I'm oh, sorry, not 60, 6,000 people were in, uh, were intentionally given lethal doses of morphine with their, uh, without their explicit consent. So that means that these people did not communicate with clear understanding and clear knowledge, or any kind of written statement saying, hey, I want to die. These were uh, doctors that uh, took it upon themselves, um, or maybe the families petitioned the doctors to do so, and they gave a lethal dose of morphine to take these people's lives for whatever reason. And in these cases, they were not condemned by the court system, they were not prosecuted in any way, it was upheld by the law, by the law of the land in those cases. and while some would say, well, yeah, okay, that's in other countries, this has even begun to uh, creep its way into the United States. Many of y'all are probably familiar with the case of Jesse Ramirez, uh, who was in a horrific, car accident and was placed in a coma. And while he was in a coma, unable to communicate, unable to give any kind of consent to anything, his wife requested that the medical team remove his food, remove his water, and remove all forms of treatment and medication so that he could be allowed to die. And this caught headlines all around our nation because Jesse's sister began to uh, launch a campaign and to uh, request legal help to basically Uh, reintroduce food and medical treatment and water back into Jesse before he starved to death. Now, after six days of him without food, without water, and without any kind of uh, medical treatment, she was able to successfully get food and water uh, restored back to Jesse. And within that year, he made a full recovery. Okay, and so it's not something that is just happening in other parts of the world. It is slowly creeping its way into things that are happening in the United States. Now, the third category that I would like to mention, and this is the far end of uh, this slippery slope, is what has is, uh, been called involuntary euthanasia. So you have voluntary euthanasia, you have non-voluntary where they can't uh, give consent, and then you have involuntary, and this is where the patient clearly does not want to die. They are communicating that they don't want to die, but either government or uh, medical personnel or family forcibly take that person's life. Now, most people would uh, classify this as murder, but it is actually gaining more and more traction in some places. Just this past year, an elderly woman with dementia in the Netherlands was forcibly held down by her family while a doctor administered a lethal dose of medication, even though the patient was pleading for the doctor to stop. Now, that doctor was later uh, tried for this, but the judge dismissed the charges and even praised the doctor for his work in this particular case. So, while this may seem outlandish, while it may seem uh, like clear-cut murder, there are people and there are places in the world where this is getting more and more traction. And if we're not careful, it can begin to gain traction within the United States. Now, I share... I would like to just share a few uh, words with you before we go, because, listen, uh, we, we need to understand uh, that while there are strong views on either side of this, we need to make sure that we, we take a step back, we approach this with a biblical worldview, and we see that it's not always clear-cut black-and-white issues on either side. So let me just share two thoughts with you real quick before we close our time out tonight. First of all, uh, however you approach the subject, wherever you take your stance, if you claim to live with a biblical worldview, you need to keep in mind that everyone has intrinsic value because they are, they are created in the image of God. Perhaps you uh, you believe that there are times where it is morally and ethically okay to help someone die peace of, peacefully and pain-free. If so, make sure that you hold to that position, not because you want to, but because you believe that it is the right position to hold before God. Now, let me say that again. If you believe that, don't hold that position just because that's what you want to believe or that's what uh, makes you uh, feel okay. But hold that position because you truly do believe that's what God finds acceptable. And please also, if you hold to that view, be careful not to fall prey to the slippery slope that can uh, so easily get people lost on and find themselves in the far extremes of some of these positions. Now, the other thing I just want to say is I don't want to communicate in any way that I believe that there is a difference or, or that there's not a difference between killing someone and allowing someone to just die from their own illnesses and injuries. Now, the reason why I mention that is because I know that there are many people who have had to face the excruciating decision of not doing maybe chemo treatment uh, for their cancer or having to choose uh, a do-not resuscitation order um, when going in for surgery or maybe to have to take someone off life support. Listen, these are excruciating decisions, and and I know that they are not easy ones. They're not, there's not a clear black-and-white uh good, bad uh, um, way to divide up these things. Now, to these people who have had to go through these decisions, let me just um, let me just say a few things. I hope that tonight's message has not added any pain or guilt that you may or may not feel uh, in relation to some of these decisions you've made. I personally uh, do not believe that such decisions are the same as assisted suicide or euthanasia. Listen, we live in a fallen world with illness and with pain. Thankfully, we have medical technology that has allowed us to prolong life well beyond what was previously thought possible. Uh, But please know that the decision to allow our lives to naturally pass on is not the same as intentionally taking someone's life. And so we need to understand that there are a lot of um, um, things to consider. There are a lot of nuances to take into account when... uh, Uh, Taking a stance on these issues and when having these kinds of discussions. Now, as with every discussion uh, that we've had, there's so much more that we could uh, say on this subject, but we're going to end it there for tonight. I hope that this has given you a lot to prayerfully think about. I hope that you'll see, as with the case with all of these discussions, that this is not the final say on the subject, but I hope that it's the spark that gets the discussion going. Uh, as you think through this, as you talk through this and work uh, work out what God lays upon your heart, as it relates to this issue. Now, next week, we're going to be looking at the issue of capital punishment. If Christians uh, uh, are so adamant about the value of human life, some would argue, why are we uh, um, uh, proponents of the death penalty? And so, why do we value human life, but then are so quick to take human life in other cases? And so, I hope that you'll join us next week as we jump into that discussion. But until then, God bless and take care.